Well, as you can tell from my accent, I was born in Texas. And uh, actually, Jonathan and I have a similar accent, but somewhat different. But uh, we can explain that to you afterwards, how it's the same, but somewhat different. I am going to be speaking to you uh, tonight and tomorrow uh, from two passages in John uh, chapter 15. So if you have a Bible, get the Bible out. Let's go to John chapter 15. And I'm going to read to us from John 15 and verses 1 to 11. This is the passage that's been assigned to me uh, this, uh, this weekend, and we're going to be look at uh, John 15, 12 to 17 tomorrow, and uh, verses 1 to 11 tonight. So let's hear from God's Word. Uh, Jesus is speaking. These are famous words, and uh, your leaders here at the church and for this conference believe these are of particular relevance to you. So let's see what Jesus has to say. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So why are we looking at this passage uh, this evening? Let me give you three reasons. First of all, this passage clearly is one in which Jesus is teaching his followers how to bear fruit. And anyone who's a follower of Jesus wants to know the answer to that question. How can I be fruitful? And therefore, this is, of course, an important passage to study. We want to be Christians who thrive, who see others come to know Jesus, who are effective in leading Bible study groups, who have families that are filled with laughter and happiness and 
effective Christian living and, and, and all these things. And here Jesus, in this passage, is uh, saying this is the way you bear much fruit. Well, therefore, of course, it's an important, uh, important passage to study. But the second reason why uh, I think this uh, passage is important for us to study is because within Western Christianity, within uh, American Christianity, we seem to be going through a stage where it feels as if we're not bearing as much fruit as we might wish, where evangelism is harder, where we read about Christian scandals, where the gospel doesn't seem to be having quite the same impact that perhaps it did some years ago. And so there's this macro reason, big picture reason, that as we come to this, Jesus is saying this is the way you uh, bear much fruit, and therefore, of course, it's a pretty important passage for us to be considering, right? I mean, here you are in L.A. I mean, I, uh, Josh and I have been wandering around L.A., and one of the things I've been saying over and over again is, I don't know how you ever do any work. It's so nice. It's like we've been on the beach, and you go to the mountains, you know, and like, this is a pretty good place to live, you know, and the weather is amazing. I mean, I'm from Chicago. I mean, you know, uh, the weather in Chicago is a wonderful place to be, but not because of the weather, you know. And, and, and so, and yet... Though uh, this is the uh, city of dreams and uh, entertainment capital of the universe, though that's all true, at the same time, I think Christians the world over, now, uh, particularly within uh, the Western world and uh, the other parts of the world where the gospel is thriving, the, the, the fastest growing, um, the church that's growing fastest is actually in a Muslim country right now. I won't tell you which country it is, but there's a Muslim country where the, the, the church is growing fastest throughout the world. There are places where the gospel certainly is thriving, but, but nonetheless, there is a sense, and when I travel around preaching at various places and we do God-centered life ministries that puts my preaching on the radio and on podcasts and we get feedback from various people, it's pretty clear that God's people sense that these are not easy days. Maybe it's the politicization of Christianity. Maybe it's some of the cultural pushback. Any number of reasons we could get into but the bottom line is we, we sense that it's not as fruitful as perhaps it should be. And of course, if that's the case, this is a very important passage to consider, right? But there's even a more personal reason. I'm, I'm not just a preacher, I'm a pastor. And when I talk to people pastorally, I'm aware of the, the difficulties and trials, and I was just listening outside to the conversation you had earlier with the Q&A, and there's a sense in which I can feel in the room that, that, that there are people here who have been struggling. And of course, because of COVID, because of the impact of COVID, uh, not only have there been people who have died, not only have there been people who have struggled through the various lockdowns and all the rest, but, but, all, but all of us have sensed a sort of, well, they're calling it the great resignation. People are feeling like, I'm, I've, I'm done. 
I've had enough. Burnout is like one of the most popular words of the day. <laughs> it doesn't feel like a fruitful time. And yet here Jesus is saying, here's how you bear much fruit. So all that's to say that what we're considering tonight is really important. Well, what then is Jesus saying? Let me give it to you in a sentence, and then I'll explain how I get there. What I believe that Jesus is saying here is the following. To thrive, and I can use that word for fruit. We'll consider what he means by fruit in a minute. But to thrive, to have that fullness of life, to thrive... And of course, John's gospel as a whole is all about life. You know, right at the beginning, John chapter 1, verse 4, in him was life. These things, uh, John says, I've written to you so that you might believe in his name, the signs that he's done, and have life in his name. This thriving, this fruitfulness. So to thrive, we need an inward, enduring, personal, Communion with Jesus by his word. So let's see uh, how we get there. How do we get there from this passage? Well, first of all, as we read through this passage, the, the first thing to get clear in, my mind, in your mind is that Jesus here is using picture language. Th this, this passage is one big metaphor. It's a picture. And so when we, when, we, we, when we look at this, and when I could feel it when I was reading out, you can get stuck in some of the details and some of the shifts of sentence structure and some of the argument. It's like, where, where's he going now? So we, first of all, we need to step back and get the big picture. Jesus is painting a picture that you've got to see. And what's that picture? Well, of course, it's a picture of the vine and the branches. So when you come to this passage, you've got to have visualizing in your mind, and you know what, we're in California, Napa Valley, right? Vineyards. It's a vine. Vine and branches. And of course, it's on the branches where the grapes are, the fruit. And the branches connected to the vine and the sap and the nutrients and the, the energy and the the goodness that comes from the sun and the soil and the rain and all the rest is running down the branches, creating the fruit. That's the picture. And that picture has a particular um, biblical resonance. So if you have your Bibles open and you come with me to Isaiah uh, chapter 5, and that's uh, the right way to say Isaiah, by the way. Isaiah chapter 5, it's called the Song of the Vineyard. And probably what's going on there is Isaiah is using a liturgical moment. So you've got a guitar, you've got a piano. I, I was, you know, perhaps at some point this evening you're going to sing, I don't know. But, you know, and, and so it's there. I guess maybe you already have. Maybe we're going to sing afterwards. But there's a liturgical song that's going on in Isaiah's mind in, in chapter 5. And he's using that and then he, he changes it 
to have a surprise. He's singing a song about the vineyard, you know, verse 1. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. You, you can feel the sort of the warmth and the, the chorus of the, of the worship that's going on. But then he says, verse 7, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. He looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteousness, behold, an outcry. So the picture, of course, is of Israel as the vine, but something's gone wrong. Or uh, look with me at uh, Psalm 80. Uh, Psalm 80, where there's a, another description of this, this vineyard. And so Psalm 80 uh, verse eight, uh, is, a, is a psalm all uh, praying for restoration. Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. And then verse 8 of Psalm 80, 80 the psalmist says, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. But of course, he's talking about Israel that God rescued when he brought them out through the Exodus. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. So there's all this... The vine, Israel, is, is flourishing and bearing fruit and abundance. And, and then, verse 12, why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Israel's the vine. Well, something's gone wrong. Or uh, uh, similarly, if you look at uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, there the prophet is using, again, this picture of of the vine. And Jeremiah chapter 2, verse, and I won't explain the whole of this chapter 2 here, but the verse 21 of chapter 2, the prophet, uh, God speaking through the prophet says, Yet... I planted you a choice vine, and he, he's bemoaning their idolatry. And what he's saying, but I put you as a really good vine, what the, those, that kind of vine that produces really good grapes. You're a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine, that is a vine that doesn't produce pleasant tasting fruit? Israel's the vine. Something's gone wrong. Uh, you see the same thing uh, in Ezekiel. And uh, chapter, chapter 19, Ezekiel 19, uh, where uh, the, the, the God, uh, th- through the prophet, is speaking again. Chapter 19, verse 10. Your mother was like a vine in a vineyard, planted by the water, fruitful. Is it fruit? It was fruitful. Everything good and abundant and filled with life and full of branches by reason of abundant water. Its strong stems became ruler's scepters. It towered aloft among the thick boughs. It was seen in its height with the mass of its branches. 
But, verse 12, but the vine was plucked up in fury, cast down to the ground. The east wind dried up its fruit. They were stripped off and withered. As for its strong stem, fire consumed it. Now it is planted in the wilderness in a dry and thirsty land. And fire has gone out from the stem of its shoots, has consumed its fruit. So there remains in it no, long, no strong stem, no scepter for ruling. This is a lamentation. This is like, you know, some people, Israel's the vine, but something's gone wrong. Or, um, I love reading the book of uh, Hosea, the prophet Hosea. He has, uh, Hosea's often um, uses irony quite a lot in his, in his writing, you know, and um, uh, by the way, one, uh, we've got someone here who was, in our church when I was preaching in New Haven and I, one of the titles I use when I preach, I don't know whether you remember this, but when I was preaching through the, the book of Hosea in uh, New Haven, I, I called the title for the series um, Holy Sex, which um, the elders were not too sure was a great title, but I thought was pretty accurate as a description of what the book of Hosea was actually about. But anyway, that's another conversation. Hosea chapter 10 uh, he uses some irony here. He says, verse 1, Israel is a luxuriant vine. It's luxury that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. And there's the irony. Of course, he's talking about idolatry. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Some kind of idolatrous worship paraphernalia. Israel's the vine. Something's gone wrong. And so now you see with the picture and the background they would have had when they, when they heard this, what Jesus says, he comes along and says, I am the true vine. What, Je what is Jesus saying? What he's saying is all the promises that the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, what uh, Dan Block, who comes to our church, an Old Testament professor, always calls the First Testament. The Old Testament scriptures, what they talk about, with all the promises of God's people, and yet something went wrong. Jesus is saying, I am that. It must have so confused them. How can you be a country? I'm the flag. You know, it represented the people, the vine. And you, you're not the vine, God's people. You're the branches. But of course, you see, that is so encouraging. Because to thrive, we need an inward, enduring, personal communion with Jesus by his word. It's, it's now the weight of faithfulness, the weight of moral performance is on him. And our fruitfulness comes as we are in him. So all that is... is um, uh, is, from, is from the picture here. But the, in this passage, there isn't just a picture. 
there's also a method. So I said, you know, why is this relevant? Because it's talking about how to be fruitful. And here's the picture. Well, it comes from Jesus is the true vine. I'm just giving you the background to that from the Old Testament. Okay. Uh, but he is saying how. There's a method here. And the method is gloriously simple. He says the method is abide. A-B-I-D-E. One word. Abide. He repeats that by my count nine times between verses 4 to 10. It's like, he's, you know, abide, 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 abide. That's how. Uh, it's, uh, I interviewed, uh, I'm my ne- for my next book, I, I'm interviewing various Christian leaders, and I interviewed Professor Sir Colin Humphreys, who's a Cambridge professor, one of, uh, a, science, a science professor at Cambridge, one of the preeminent scientists of our day, and also an evangelical Christian. And I interviewed him about how he is a scientist and a Christian, and, and he, he was explaining how uh, his, uh, his, his, his science informs his Christian faith. And I said, well, how does, how does the Christian faith inform your science? And what he said to me was fascinating. He said that because I'm a Christian, I understand why you find elegant solutions. Why? Because God is a God of order, and he's behind everything. And here Jesus is giving us an elegant, simple method. Abide. It's a characteristic word that John frequently uses. And as he uses it, he uses it in two Primarily two different ways. One way is about his own relationship to the Father, and the other way is about the Christians, our, those of us who are Christians, our relationship to him. So uh, in John 14, uh, just right before this passage, and uh, verse 10, he describes amazing way his, his relationship to the Father. He says in verse 10 of chapter 14, the words that I say to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. And that word dwells is the same word, it translates the same word in the Greek as abide, the Father in the mystery of the Trinity abides in Jesus. There's a connection, a deep personal connection. That's what that idea of abiding has. Uh, to John, but also, of course, the Christian's relationship to Christ is frequently described in this passage, but also in uh, John chapter 6, where Jesus is talking about, he says there that, that unless you feed on my body and drink my blood, and again, he's using metaphorical language there about the sort of personal connection and the faith, the, the committed faith that trusts in him. Unless you do that, you don't abide in me. That's how to abide in me. He says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. It's this deep connection, personal, that metaphor of feeding and drinking. It's very personal. He doesn't, he's not saying, you know, literally eat me. But it's that sort of deeply personal, inward connection. Um, and uh, as I say, he uses it frequently in this passage, but also comes up in uh, in First John, and uh, First John chapter two, verse twenty-four, uh, where Jesus there says, "Let what you have," uh, where John there says, "Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father." Do you get the sense of the deeply personal? connection that this idea of abide has 
uh, uh, for John. So one uh, um, dictionary then describes it, the, the way John uses uh, abide as, and it's in my statement of what I think that basically uh, Jesus here is teaching, as an inward, enduring, and personal communion. That's abide. It's inward, enduring, personal communion. But then if that's, if that's how we're fruitful by abiding, how do we abide, right? <laughs> I mean, how do we have this deeply personal, enduring, inward connection? And Jesus also answers that very practically. And the answer is by his word. So verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Or again, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and we done for you. We'll consider what that means in just a moment. But and my if you abide in me and my words abide in you, so it's about the it's through the word. Or again, uh, verse, uh, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So there's a picture, the vine and the branches of the background of the Old Testament. There's a method abiding, and the abiding happens by keeping his word And because of that, there's a result, the fruit. And the result is uh, verse 5. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And what does he mean by much fruit? Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So part of this fruitful abiding is effectiveness in prayer. Now, when he says, ask whatever you wish, he's talking about asking whatever you wish in his name, which means according to his character, according to his will. When we do something in someone's name, it's something that they could put their name to, they could sign their name to. That When you pray in Jesus' name, it's the sort of prayer that Jesus as it were, could sign underneath saying, yes, I agree. And if we are abiding in him, as we just defined through keeping his word, then we have this uh, effectiveness in prayer. But then most remarkably of all, the fruitfulness includes, well, let me read it for us because I think it's just extraordinary. In verse 11, these things I have spoken to you. Again, the word. Do you see that emphasis again? These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So the fruitfulness that Jesus promises is not the latest white Range Rover. Uh, 
or something materialistic. The fruitfulness Jesus promises is the fruitfulness that I saw when I went to visit a medical doctor who had been fairly recently converted as an adult. And then after having been converted, become a Christian, he'd been diagnosed with very aggressive cancer. And I went to visit him and his wife in hospital as he was dying of terminal cancer, refusing to take morphine, um, which by the way is an extraordinary thing. Some of you who know me know that I, not, not cancer, I've had my own mild medical issue the last couple of weeks where I was actually on morphine a week or so ago. And it's good stuff, by the way. It's, <laughs> It takes something to refuse that, you know, but um, refusing to take morphine because he didn't want to be, you know, um, in English they say do lally. Do you know what that means? Like gaga, like he wanted to be all present for that time. And as I went to pray with him, he took my hand. And in a strange way, though, he was in agony. It was clear he was filled with joy. Don't you want that? That's what Jesus is offering. Well, if that's the case, of course, the question is how do we get it? And I'll just give you, I mean, that would be a long conversation for Bible study and, you know, afterwards uh, over the weekend. And um, we'll be thinking a bit more about this in a tangential way tomorrow. But let me just give you three very simple ways in terms of how to get it. First, relinquish. So if he's the vine and we're the branches and we need this, you know, what's the, the, the basic thing that Jesus is saying? To thrive, we need an inward, enduring, personal communion with Jesus by his word. If we're, he's the vine, we're the branches, then we need to connect with him, which means we need to relinquish connecting with something else. It doesn't mean we can't have normal human relationships and go through life as a normal person, but there can't be another ultimate connection. And in religious circles, which of course this is, we're in a church, right? It's so easy to hide behind religious language and not really have that relinquishing other things and connecting with Jesus. In this regard, I like the, the um, humorous story of the Franciscans and the Jesuits. The story goes that one time the Franciscans and the Jesuits met at a conference and the Franciscans noticed that the Jesuits were smoking at the conference and said to them, how come you're smoking? And they said, well, the Pope gave us permission to smoke. And the Franciscans said, well, we asked the Pope and he said, no, and they're pretty outraged. You know, how did that happen? And the Jesuits said, well, uh, Francis, you know, how did you ask the Pope? And um, uh, they said, well, we asked him if we could smoke while we were praying, you see. And the Jesuits said, ah, ah, but we asked the Pope whether we could pray while we were smoking. <laughs> and we, we can play these games, can't we? 
You know the religious language. Washed in the blood of the Lamb. Justified. and We can play the games. This has been deeply embedded in my soul. I was trained under a man who at the time was thought to be uh, the greatest preacher of his generation, certainly in England. He was traveling around America and Australia at the time. You won't have heard of him now, which is interesting, but at the time he was famous. And unknown to any of us on the staff team, I was a young man at the time, I was running the, the college ministry. Unknown to any of us on the staff team, he was having, and I won't go into the details, but he was having an affair, sexual immorality, and he left his wife, and it was a disaster. None of us knew anything about it. And everyone says, you know, people like that should have had accountability. He had all the accountability. And I've asked myself many times, what was really going on? And over and over again, as I ask myself that question, I come back to one moment. I remember sitting down next to this man over breakfast. We'd go out to breakfast to talk every now and then. He was mentoring me. And he was reading his favorite newspaper, and we were eating breakfast, and the newspaper was out, you know, while we were drinking coffee and sort of talking through the newspapers, you know. And, uh, I, 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 and, I, and he'd been preaching all over the place. And, and I asked him, I said, how is it and I won't use his name, but how is it that you have time to prepare your sermons? I mean, I knew his schedule. I mean, how do you do it? When's it happening? And he sort of folded down his newspaper, and he looked at me and said, oh, I use my quiet times for that. Newspaper back up again. Now, I was 26, and he was in his mid-50s, and it didn't ring true, but what did I know? I was only 26. But now, that would ring every alarm bell. The professionalization of our intimate communion with Jesus, particularly around his word. As a missionary uh, uh, in our congregation, long-term missionary, he tells me, I, I, I told this story at some point or other church, and he came up to me afterwards and told me that the, the well-known leader of his mission organization, whenever a missionary fails, his question is not, did he stop having his quiet times? His question is, when did he stop? You know, if you want this enduring personal communion of Jesus by his word. If you, want, if you want this fruitfulness, this joy, you, you've got to relinquish some stuff and you connect to him. You're the, you, he's the vine. You're the branch. So relinquish. But then also rest. And this is so hard for us today for all sorts of reasons. The information age we live in, we're constantly bombarded with tech all the time. Every day, 75 million new photographs are uploaded to Instagram every single day. We're overly visually stimulated. It's hard for us to have any deep thought to stop. We're living in a time of change, increasing change, and exponentially increasing change. That is, the change is increasing at an ever-increasingly fast rate. It's exponential. And this information age, is, is, it just makes it hard for us to stop and rest. The, 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 the amount of, uh, the, the, one way to illustrate this is that, 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 that 50, to get to 50 million users, 
uh, it took airplanes uh, 68 years. Uh, to get 50 million users, uh, it took TV, television, 22 years. It took the internet seven years. It took Facebook three years to get to 50 million users. And that game, do you remember Pokemon Go? How long did it take to get 50 million users? 19 days. It's this constant bombarded, and we're living that. You're bombarded with information all the time. And yet, if you're going to connect with Jesus, you're going to have to find time to do so and rest in him. And so well, how do I do that? Well, one way I do that is, and God willing, I'll do it this, this Monday because it's been a busy season. I'll, I, I schedule time away from other things, and I know it's part of, you know, perhaps not all of us can do that, but just to directly in your calendar, schedule time to spend time with him. Charles Simeon, I heard he was mentioned earlier, one of the secrets of Charles Simeon's ministry was he got up at four in the morning to pray until 8 a.m. each morning, just to rest in him. So relinquish rest and then remain. Uh, sometimes people call this the era of the great resignation. Everyone's trying to move from one thing to another all the time. Uh, but Paul does not characterize Christian life as a fast-paced business, but as being a farmer, a soldier, and an athlete, Olympic athlete, all of which requires endurance. And so then, my friends, to thrive as a follower of Jesus, we must have an inward, enduring, and personal communion with Jesus by his word. Well, there's one part of this I haven't picked up at all because we're going to be looking at it tomorrow, and that, of course, is love, which is very central to Jesus' thinking, of course, but is the central message for the passage tomorrow. And we'll look at it tomorrow. So let's pray together. Oh Lord God, we do pray that you'd uh, teach us to abide, that we might thrive. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.